Today's teaching comes from Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my own people. So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went again to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it, said, who... He who used to persecute us is now teaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. We are going to continue in our series in the book of Galatians tonight, and so far we've uh, we are I'm coming at this book. By simply saying, this is a book about freedom, about gospel freedom. Paul wrote this letter to a group of churches in a region, more or less now, modern-day Turkey. A group of churches probably around 50 AD. And they were in crisis. These were churches who uh, Paul had planted, he had started, he had proclaimed his gospel to. And now others were... Uh, present in those churches when he was away and were beginning to teach them uh, another gospel. And they were on the verge of abandoning the gospel that Paul had proclaimed to them. And as we noticed from last week, he was astonished. He couldn't believe what was happening. And many of those who were preaching or preaching this other gospel were saying that Paul's gospel was not the true gospel. It was perhaps maybe half a gospel, but it wasn't the whole gospel. And maybe Paul made it up. Uh, or maybe Paul was uh, just simply uh, trying to take the gospel from uh, the leaders in Jerusalem and tweaking it a little bit to make it a little more uh, agreeable to uh, the Gentiles, uh, to the non-Jewish community that he was serving. Well, Paul Here in the passage we have tonight, he tells us a story. He tells us a story about how he came to know this gospel. And one of the main reasons he tells us this story about his own conversion, how he became a Christian. It's the story that uh, we read about that's a fuller description of it from Acts 9 that we read earlier. He tells the story in order to be able to say, look, I did not just think this gospel up by using my, uh, my intellect. In fact, as we, you notice here in verse 13 and verse 14, the, it seems as though the more Paul seemed to reflect on who Jesus was and what he came to do, the more hateful he became. 
So he's trying to show here, I didn't make it up. But also he's trying to say, um, I didn't get it from anybody either. Notice in verse 16 when uh, uh, he says here that after God had revealed his son to him that he would preach to the Gentiles, he says, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem. In fact, he went away into Arabia. And it was even after three years before he went to Jerusalem. And then when he went to Jerusalem, it was only for 15 days. And he only saw Peter and James. And as we'll see next week, it wasn't for 14 years since he was converted, since he became a Christian, that he actually went to Jerusalem and talked through in detail this gospel he preaches with the leaders in Jerusalem. So he's trying to show us, he's telling us a story here about himself, about how he came to know this gospel and how that very experience, it's not about him per se, but it's about God and his grace. And at the very heart of this story that he tells us in the verses we're going to look at tonight, he shares with us this good news that when God breaks into your life, what happens at the heart of this very story? He reflects on God's amazing grace to him, despite who he was and what he had done. So I want to look with you tonight at who Paul was what God did, and what he will do. Now, before we look at the very first point here of who Paul was, I want to be really clear. Uh, I want you to see, remember, one of the things I've said about looking at this book. This book is about freedom. It's about freedom that's more than an idea. It's about gospel freedom that is lived experience. And Paul here shows us his experience of grace. And what I want to be really clear about is I am not suggesting that your, the circumstances of how God pours out his grace in your life will look just like this. But what he teaches us about God's amazing grace will be true for everyone who comes to know Jesus. And therefore, his story peels back the curtain, as it were, to help us to understand and to see what does it look like, what's it mean to experience in your daily life this freedom. So first, who was Paul? Let's look in verses 13 to 14. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Here's what we can see here. Paul tells us he was a very religious man. He was zealous for the traditions of his fathers. He was, uh, as we learn from the book of Acts, he was trained and taught by Gamaliel, who was one of the premier, most well-respected Jewish teachers of the day. And not only that, Paul was thriving He was sophisticated. He grew up in Tarsus, which was an urban center uh, not far from these churches that he is writing to. And Paul was a sophisticated, successful, uh, rising talent in the Jewish world. And not only that, his zeal, the more he grows, the more he learns. Notice what it cultivates in him. Verse 13, 
His former life in Judaism, he describes as one of persecuting the church of God violently and trying to destroy it. Now, this may be so obvious we might run right by it. But what I want you to notice, just in the way Paul describes his former life, which later on he will describe in very different ways. He will say, I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. He's talking about his former life before Jesus broke in. And what is almost so obvious, it's easy to miss, is that Paul's story, as clearly as anywhere else in Scripture, teaches us, it shows us that religion and the gospel are like oil and water. That religion and the gospel are two totally different things. Paul's very story teaches us that. Now, I think this is a really significant and important thing for us just to notice, particularly in our day and time, where for many, many people, religion poisons everything. To take something seriously, like Christianity, so the argument goes, necessarily leads to oppression and violence and even war. But what's really fascinating is that Paul, before he became a follower of Jesus, was full of hate, persecution, even murder. And he becomes a Christian. And then he becomes the one. He no longer pursues people to hurt them, but he's actually hurt on their behalf. That he endures suffering for them. And the only point I want to make about this right now is that what Paul's story teaches us is that the gospel, this message of freedom has within it the resources to take the self-righteousness and the condescension and the hatred out of our hearts and to make us people who love, who are merciful, who are patient, who are gentle, who are kind. Only the gospel can do that. And Paul's purpose in telling us about his former life, it really is to make very clear to us that as long as we occupy center stage in our lives, we will never be free. We will never be free from striving and proving ourselves. Notice the subject in the, uh, for the verbs in, these, in, in verse 13 and 14. Paul says, He says, I persecuted the church of God. I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. See, here Paul is showing us something pretty amazing. You know, for many, many people on the street, they tend to think that what Christianity teaches is that you you need to be saved from being immoral. You need to be saved from being bad. Well, Paul's story tells us you need to be rescued from being really good. That you need to be rescued from doing great things in God's name that really have nothing to do with this gospel of freedom. That's what Paul's story keeps in front of us. However, as we read Accounts of Paul's story, like we did earlier from the book of Acts and and this one here. What do we learn 
about God's amazing grace that brings such a radical change and such freedom to Paul's life. What what did God do? What was Paul's experience of God's grace? Look in verses 15 to 16. There is a radical reversal here. Paul is the subject of all of the action in verses 13 to 14. But then look in verses 15 and 16. God now becomes the actor. God is now center stage in Paul's life. He says, but when he, that is God, who had set me apart before I was born, and God who called me by his grace, was pleased to, to reveal his son to me, you see, three, three times here, Paul describes this action of God, that God set him apart, that God called him by, his, by grace, that God revealed his son to him. You see, Eugene Peterson, who's a pastor, he puts it like this. He says, it's as if, God's, as if God said, listen, Paul, you have it all wrong. You think religion is a matter of knowing things and doing things. It is not. It is a matter of letting God do something for you. Letting him love you. Letting him save you. Letting him bless you. Letting him command you. You see, God had broken into Paul's life and there is a radical change in his view of himself and his view of God. So then what did he discover about this amazing grace that he tells us about here and and certainly intends for us to learn from as well. Well, first of all, in verse 15, when, when Paul says here that God set me apart before I was born, what he's telling us is that God is sovereign. That God's grace in his life, he began to realize that God's will for him was an action long before he was born. Now you think about that for a moment. This is a man wandering around Jerusalem and Judea, arresting people, trying to destroy God's mission in the world, thinking he was actually on God's side. And Paul says, this God set me apart even before I was born. That means grace is a gift. That means that there is, there is no one who isn't a good candidate for this grace because no one's a good candidate. God himself, his will was already at work for Paul before he was even born. And, and, and all of a sudden for Paul, there's now a bigness to God that was far greater than he had ever known. And I, one way is I, I, I would try to get you to think about it like this. What does it mean to say that God had set him apart before he was born? Think of it like this. Uh, sometimes I'll ask my boys when they'll ask me big, complicated theological questions like this one. I'll say, so let me ask you a question. When did you, when did you know that daddy loved you? Like, when did you realize that, recognize that? 
and still have different answers, you know, like yesterday, <laughs> or, you know, when you let me watch the movie, or um, that kind of thing. They'll say, uh, but, I, but I'll often say, um, so is that when daddy first started to love you, when you noticed it? And they have this puzzled look at me, like, I think I want to say yes, but for some reason, I kind of don't think that's true, which I'm glad they don't think that's true. But the question is, did you realize that daddy loved you just because you sort of recognized it? Are you wised up to it? But in reality, I loved you before you were born. My affection has been placed on you before you ever knew it. That's what Paul is telling us about the God of the Bible. That his affection, his love for sinners in Christ was actually in place before the foundations of the world. And Paul is now clued in on it. His eyes have been opened to see how deep and big and grand and beautiful is this love of God for sinners like him. But not only did, does he realize that God is sovereign, he realizes that God is gracious when he says that God called me by his grace. Now, think about this for a moment. Um, again, think of Paul's story. He's murdering followers of Jesus. He's arresting them. He is doing the bidding of the chief priest Caiaphas in Jerusalem. He wants nothing to do with this renegade thing called the way, that this uh, off-the-beaten-path sage called Jesus has started. And I wonder for some of you, what's your story? Are there parts of your story that make you want to hide? that make you ashamed. Well, Paul, he would understand that. He could connect with you on that. And when he says here that he called me by his grace, what he's telling us is that there is a capacity for love and mercy in God that is so large, nothing about you can prevent God from wanting to do something for you. Nothing about you can prevent God from him moving towards you, of breaking into your life, of giving you freedom, of giving you grace. God is gracious. But Paul also helps us to see here that it's not just that God is sovereign and that he's gracious, but that he comes to you personally when he says that God revealed his son to him. Now, again, think about this for a moment. It's not that Paul didn't know who Jesus was. Paul most certainly did know who Jesus was. But he thought that this person, Jesus, was less than impressive. All of his followers were, uh, they weren't as sophisticated and, and uh, well-educated as, as Paul was. And, in fact, 
this Jesus, everything looked as though he was just a big failed attempt at being God's messenger. So he knew who Jesus was, but he didn't know who Jesus was. And God the Father reveals Jesus to him. And where Paul is wanting to go and arrest people and even murder people, execute people for blasphemy, for abandoning God's word, God in revealing Jesus to Paul says, you know what, you think the way to eradicate sin and evil in the world is by hoisting your will on other people and making them yield. But what you need to see, Paul, is that the way I deal with evil and wickedness and brokenness in the world is that I take it upon myself that I'm willing to come near, that I conquer evil by submitting to it, by receiving it into myself, that in the person of Jesus Christ, dying on the cross and rising from the dead, salvation is accomplished. So if you ever wonder, does God really have the capacity to love me? Paul wants you to see that when God reveals his son to you in the pages of scripture, you are, you are seeing God's capacity to love sinners, to end sin, to unravel the power of evil and brokenness and wickedness through suffering and death. So what Paul thought was this great failure of God in Jesus, he now discovers is actually God's victory. It's God's way of turning everything upside down. And again, as Eugene Peterson wrote, reflecting on this passage, says, for the first time in his life, Paul was listening, not talking. Now he realized that the central reality was not what he knew about God, but what God knew about him and willed for him, and showed him, and commanded him. God was at the center, not Paul. Therefore, when God becomes the central reality in your life, or in a person's life, what does gospel freedom, as a lived experience, really look like? That's part of Paul's story, too. And he helps us to see here, not just... Who, who he was, who Paul was, and what God did, but also what God will do. Let's look here in verse 16 again. And Paul says, when God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And he says, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia. Now, this is really the only mention of of. Arabia, like this in, in the New Testament. And uh, we have really no uh, knowledge of much that happened. It's a fairly mysterious period in Paul's life. But almost all the commentators see in this that God's amazing grace in Paul's life, it created in him a desire for communion with God. 
that here at the very beginning of his Christian life, he went away, that he spent time alone contemplating, what does this mean that God has broken into my life, that Jesus is the Messiah? This, this is turning my life upside down. Everything I ever knew, everything I ever taught, I was ever taught, is being turned upside down. But here's the amazing thing, too. I want you to notice all of Paul's training as a zealous, devoted, religious man ends up becoming his greatest asset in the service of Jesus. In the passage we read earlier, Paul is described in Damascus as going into the synagogues and persuading people, Jewish people, that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the perfect guy to know and to look at the Old Testament and to discover therein we find that Jesus really was the Messiah. So what does God, what will God do? He will create in you a desire to be with him. Now what does that mean? Gospel freedom as a lived experience, it gives you the freedom to stop. How you know that God's grace is at work in your life is there is a growing desire to be with God. That being silent with Him, listening to Him, becomes a growing desire. Now, I'm saying that that way on purpose because my guess is if that's happening in your life, you're also probably thinking... And I just don't ever have time to do that. And what I really want you to pay attention to here is that gospel freedom as a lived experience gives you the freedom to stop. But not only that, not only does God bring about a desire for communing with him, but also a life that overflows for others. Look at verse 16. Again, Paul is here describing that God's work of grace in his life wasn't just for him, but that he might preach this gospel among the Gentiles. And so as important as solitude is, the life of faith cannot be lived privately. You see, getting caught up into the story of faith always opens out into the everyday of life. It bubbles over. This amazing grace that Paul's telling us about, about his own experience, he can't keep to himself. Now, to be sure, uh, you and I are not called to be apostles like Paul was. But what we're to take from this is that what God wants to do in your life is he wants to so give you grace that you can't help but give it to other people in the ways that you speak to them, in the ways that you treat them, in your generosity, in the ways that you talk about your own struggles, the ways you talk about your own triumphs, the ways that you demonstrate ache and anguish over what's not right in this world. See, a life of faith, it overflows for others. And then lastly, not only does God create in us 
desire for him, a life that overflows for others, but also the possibility of reconciliation and healing. Look in verses 23 and 24. Verse 23, talking about the Christians in Judea, the churches in Judea that were in Christ, they were hearing about Paul and they said, he used to persecute us, but he's now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy and they glorify God because of me. Think about that for a moment. Here, what, we do, what, what do we see? Paul, who was full of hate and violence and self-righteousness, who was persecuting these Christians, this amazing grace has now healed that. It has made it possible for them to now become one as a community. That where there was hatred and fear, there is now the beginning of healing and restoration. And they glorified God because of Paul, of God's grace in Paul's life. And I I couldn't help but in thinking about this, think about our own city And the amount of um, brokenness and alienation, particularly between black people and white people. And as I read this passage and thought about this amazing grace in the life of Paul and how he used to be one who was persecuting other people, seeing them as less than human, and God's grace coming into his life and bringing about worship and joy and praise to God because people who before were at each other are now not. There's possibility for healing and reconciliation. That in the gospel, there is reason for hope. And therefore, gospel freedom as a lived experience here is an abiding hope in what God can do. See, what I hope that we, we gather from this story that Paul tells us is that there is hope for you personally. There is hope for you personally. This grace is so much bigger than you. It's so much more generous than you could possibly ever imagine. But there is also hope for our city, for our world, that this story that Paul tells us about, his own experience, it is the very grace of the Lord Jesus, who will one day make all things new. And we have the opportunity to participate in that, here and now. However incompletely it may be, it's still on the way to that great day when God will make everything right. So Paul here, this story, it's, a, it's tragic it's dramatic and it's glorious all at the same time. And Paul's story teaches us that God's grace in Jesus is far richer and deeper and far more liberating than we ever thought possible. It's all there in his story. And God is a God of making it your story too. So let's pray together and ask him to do that. Father in heaven, we ask that as we listen in on what Paul is writing here and uh, the, the situation that he's writing to, and as he unfolds for us uh, what you did in his life, 
in making him one of your children. We ask, Father, that the realities and the truths and the freedom that we see here, you would work out in our lives. Whether we name the name of Jesus or whether we have been a Christian our entire lives, we ask that that your sovereign grace, your gift of grace, that your presence in the person of Jesus now by the Holy Spirit would become a lived experience for us, that we would know this freedom, that we would live in this freedom, that we would pray for this freedom, for ourselves and for one another and for our city. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.